Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Star Trek Discovery Season 3. This season, the crew finds itself further into the future than any other Star Trek story. Sonequa Martin-Green stars as Michael Burnham, along with the returning Doug Jones, Anthony Rapp, Mary Wiseman and Wilson Cruz. They are joined by David Ujala and Rachel Anchevel. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah, um, really, really enjoyed this season. Um, I think overall for the uh, for season three, I was slightly less in armored than I was with season two. Season two having um, Anson Mount being phenomenal as Captain Pike, and also having some already hanging in plot threads from season one to tie everything into continuity. Whereas this was the first season they had free reign pretty much to to do what they wanted um there was they weren't stepping into anyone else's timeline that they had to dilly dally around but it worked really well um special effects as always phenomenal um music really great and you know this cast has become like a a nice well-oiled machine that being three seasons into a show and yeah i just i was really excited by a lot of the storytelling they gave us this season i feel like we could finish the review you've covered everything <laughs> there jay wow lots of broad strokes uh, let's just pull it back a little bit going back to that first season incredible absolutely loved star trek discovery first time we'd seen it on tv star trek for such a long time i mean what was it before that enterprise uh, enterprise which finished in was it 2005 2004 2005 and then it was what 12 13 years of no star trek on television which that is, is that is always a, been its medium yeah it's a very it's a very long time in the us and cbs all access this was their flagship show, wasn't it? They'd launched the, the service with Star Trek Discovery. It was a big thing in the US, here in Australia and other countries. We get it on Netflix. It was so exciting having Star Trek again. The season one finale, when the Enterprise turned up, was amazing. And yeah. I absolutely loved season two. And we did a full, full review. This season, though, it's very different, isn't it? Because the first season was fresh. The second season really leaned into the original series, which I liked. For yeah. me, it's like season three of Discovery has gone full Star Wars. It feels a lot more Star Wars than Star Trek. I'm not necessarily that's a bad thing, but that's something I definitely noticed. Yeah, and I found for this season, uh, season one and two maintained a somewhat episodic feel with a small knocks of the kicking the ball of the main plot thread down the road but they still felt very self-contained where you can enjoy them as the original series themselves were um whereas this season i found it a lot more like a modern tv series where the plot is being moved every single week uh which isn't a bad thing 
but I did enjoy what we got from season one and two. Um, Picard, that very long, uh, we're moving. This is our 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 plot for the season, and we're move. We're focusing on it episode for episode, as this did. Um, so I I was a little missing that um, for the most part for season three, except of course for the two episodes, which was. Um, episode nine and 10 terra firma, which we'll get to in a bit, but they, they were the most self-contained episodes out of the season and consequently some of my favorite as well. Did this season feel long to you? And with you just making that point there about that one main through line, that main story point. So we didn't get episodic episodes looking back 13 episodes and you're comparing it to other Trek shows like Picard I think was maybe 10. Yeah. I know Lower Decks was around that as well. 13, I think, just seemed a bit long. But I think we were talking off air before we started that during Discovery, there's been so much other genre TV. Like within this season of Discovery, the whole of Mandalorian happened, season two. Yeah. And we now have WandaVision on Disney Plus. So it just it seemed like this was taking a long time to come out, even though it was coming out weekly. Yeah, and even uh with the way the cinemas are now, we've had both Wonder Woman eighty four drop on HBO Max in this time and Soul on Disney Plus. We've had like quite large releases to to steal the limelight. They haven't had that we are the sci-fi show get on board it's us no one's coming near us um while we run yeah they kind of stepped into as you said the mandalorian which was the biggest competition because you have a direct comparison science fiction uh, space show to science fiction space show uh one a very concise um series down over eight episodes with a, a larger budget per episode as well mandalorian is the most expensive show on TV at the moment um, and of all time <laughs> against Star Trek, which is a phenomenal show like Mandalorian. Each episode is movie quality in terms of how it's put together, but that tighter storytelling of Mandalorian of having, Oh, we can do 30 minutes or 35 minutes. Oh no, we'll do 55 minutes for this episode. Oh, we'll do 47 on this one. You know, having that, that freedom to this is the story I tell. This is how long it took me, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't drag it out. Whereas Star Trek is still very much in that. I've got to hit fifty-five to fifty-nine minutes per episode, because season two went sixteen episodes. So I don't think it's that it was long compared to other series. I think it's because you're dragging that mystery for which for this season three was the burn an event that happened a hundred years before the discovery and its crew turn up in the future, which is uh, that triggered core explosions for all dilithium powered spacecraft, leaving it uh, a lot more fractured and disparate and allowing the uh, Orion syndicate or actually the, uh, the, the Emerald chain, to gather power because the Federation splintered and is like a, a shadow of its former self. Almost. With that, with it being in that kind of way and not having a, a few 
more personal stories to break up all of those episodes. Yeah, I think that'd feel a little long. Not that it was a bad thing. I mean, especially if it was it the last three episodes. Uh, yeah, last three episodes were the were all over a course of a few day time frame in, t- in terms of what the show was doing, which that was a big three parter. That's how you end. They ended the season, which when you're getting three parts of essentially a single large three, nearly three hour film over three weeks, it, it can, it did can lose the momentum. I, um, I watched the first part on its own and then watched the second two back to back which helped, but by that I had lost some of the momentum. Um, so I could imagine the same problem with other people watching the show, especially with so much other content dropping at the same time, um, which is a shame because it is a really great season. Yeah, so now we've got that out of the way, the comparisons and everything else, it sounds like we've had the same experience with it then. But the show, it's, it's still excellent. And we've said on previous episodes that we can stop comparing it to Mandalorian and all the, all the cash that Disney can throw at it. Going back to that first season and season two and season three of Discovery, for me, for the most part, visually, it looks as good as those Chris Pine movies. Yeah, easily. Easily. They're putting in like monumental amounts of effort into all of these, every single episode. Um, and this has this uh, distinction um, uh, equal to if not um, bigger than Mandalorian, where literally every single special effect on this show was done completely during uh, quarantine isolation for the entire special effects division. Wow. So with that kind of separation, uh, workings uh, from homes and that kind of stuff, and to get this quality of um, visuals out for a, a TV series is huge because if you didn't know something was happening, you would never have picked up like, oh, that's a bit cheap. What happened there? Did they not have time? Like, no, no, no. They, they, uh, they, they should have tripped over themselves given the, uh, the conditions of which they put all this out. And that goes for this, the music as well. Again, like they, on both sides, completely isolated, having to do things in a very specific way due to, uh, social distancing and working isolated outside of large groups. And they've done a phenomenal job, the editing and everything else. I think, you know, they would have had to do ADR recording as well. For yeah. I, I wouldn't have known. I, I didn't see any, any dip in quality and anywhere. Um, the, the music, Jeff Russo, like he also did the music for Picard as well. And they do it a lot in this season, and I guess it's something that's always been there, is where they will sample music from other Trek shows. Like in Picard, yeah. they have the next gen, but also the original series, and we get the original series in this as well. So I've always enjoyed that about the score. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a, again, it's a really strong season. And just simple things. It's always... Star Trek's always been really good at kind of predicting where technology is heading or directly influencing where technology should go. You had uh, flip 
communicators in the original series, which led directly to the Motorola flip phones because the guy who run Motorola was so influenced by those in the 60s that he made that his like mission for phones he created in the 80s. You had next generation influencing um, tablet computers, which we have, which is like so commonplace now. It's weird that they weren't always a thing, but they came from Star Trek and you've had augmented reality from Star Trek Deep Space Nine and, uh, you know, tricorders are like, you know, uh, we're kind of getting there with the way smartwatches read people's, like the new, a lot of the new uh, bit, bit watches, um, the Garmin ones, especially the new Apple watch and the Samsung watch all read and record sleep patterns, blood oxygen levels, heartbeat all this sort of stuff, which your, your doctor can read. You can be like, Oh, here's my login. This is how I'm doing. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like out of breath. Like, Oh yeah, I can see that. We, like we're getting close to like that kind of technology on the medical front. And for this season, we've got programmable matter, which is, they don't go into detail of how it works, which is they don't need to. We just know it's kind of like these little cubie things that make stuff cool like detaching nacelles from spaceships or having physical interactive uh controls in the in the on the bridge that learns the way you work and makes itself more efficiency to the person who is using it which is very typical of smartphones these days and this is star trek spin of like how far would that go i'm like yeah it's just uh, every time I saw something, I'm like, that's cool. How far away is that? <laughs> okay. How, um, how far away do you think replicators are? Because we get something in this season. I don't think we've heard before. When there's a conversation about how replicators actually work. It's this... the first, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, it's, oh, no. It's just, it's just done so bluntly and so perfectly, which of course is uh, delivered by Admiral Charles Vance, played by phenomenal Aded Fair from the Mummy movies, is where he's probably best known from. Also, Juice Bigelow. Bigelow, male Gigolo. <laughs> That's what I know and, him from. <laughs> yeah. And. Yeah, he's having his one-on-one with Asira, played by Janet Kidder, and she's they're eating apple, replicated apple, and she's like, "Oh, this um, this is uh, it's missing some punch and some flavor. It's replicated." So like, yeah, not bad for shit. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's our shit. It's uh, it's been recycled, and that's what it comes out as. It's like, yeah, it's pretty good. I've never had a real apple, but that was explained. They talked around it back in next gen really early on of ah, right. they have almost zero waste because everything is re uh, uh, like energy to matter conversion is how replicators work. And then you always see them pack everything back up and put it back in a replicator to, to disassemble the other way. Um, it's, it, but it was Star Trek enterprise when they were doing feedback talks to the kids um, trip the main engineer they ask what do they do where does their poo go do they just shoot it out into space and he explains actually we have to recycle everything because so we uh, deconstruct the poo obviously oh. there's got a lot of water in there which we yeah. recycle and clean and comes back as water and the 
protein and other essential elements of the molecules in the poo are disassembled and stored and then rebuilt into other things, which is things they eat, things they build because you're talking carbon. So things that you're making out raw materials and the, the, the sort of metals and other minerals that come out in your waste, all of it gets recycled. That's urine, poo, sweat, anything out of the shower, anything that gets broken doesn't get, get thrown out. It gets put through the replicator to be recycled and reclaimed. Uh, and it's an extremely efficient thing. This is all still kind of far off in terms of kind of recycling, in terms of technology. Hey, but based on your description, out. Jay, I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want that advancement in technology. I completely yeah. missed all of that. I guess it, it took Vance being really blunt with Asara. <laughs> For me to yeah, like, hang like a, on a minute but yeah it's like a it's like a slap of like yeah, yeah you you're so much better than off than we are like here we are living in this small way to ensure to, to do something noble and you're you get to eat apples that were grown on an actual tree um, but because they are you know we're so close to um grown lab grown meat being on shelves which is you know this is like intermediate steps i think to what you know that Scientists are trying to figure out how to do replicators and being able to build meat and things slowly uh, without having a cow or, you know, like if you could grow, if you could piece to, re-piece together um, carrots or things like that out of like the things in your compost, like that this is kind of where we're at the moment. So it was probably still a good, 80 to 100 years away from replicators but yeah uh programmable matter weirdly seems closer <laughs> wow went down a rabbit hole there didn't we <laughs> yeah but yeah okay yeah cool scene yeah, it was it was a cool scene in the show and um i saw it as a character i really liked it as the bad guy i think we were first introduced to her species in the original series and and there were I don't know if they were all slaves, what was it? A slave girl. And it was I think it was one of the episodes, one of the many episodes where Kirk took his top off and had a wrestle. <laughs> but yeah. it's interesting because... to have her or not her, but her someone from her species introduced in that way in the original series. And now she's the big bad of the show. Yeah, they uh it was always, it was a trick in the original series. Uh, she was like, oh, I'm a slave girl. You must help me. But she could, they have strong pheromones and they can influence particularly men. Um, a bit like Wolverine's son, Dakin in Marvel Comics. For anyone who knows uh, his whole pheromone I deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. So that's what she did. Uh, and it's actually a matriarchal society. So the women always had the power, um, but the men are stronger. Like, like uh, you, you get a little bit of it uh, in the, some of the episodes so, showing when uh, an Orion is fighting a, uh, a human, they have more physical strength. They are more physically dominant than humans. Um, but the women dominate because they have strong pheromones and it's a very strong society, which is, but, initially they're just showing her as like a mustache twirling villain like very like yes i'm bad and i'm bad and i have no other redeeming traits you know to hell with you i want power and then you get that phenomenal episode with in that all the all the scenes in those federation like 
briefing rooms or interview rooms were all phenomenal throughout the entire season. And that one, when you get this whole other side of her and you're like, wait, what? Man, this character's got way more depth than I had given her credit for. Um, and yeah, the, uh, the, the makeup effects on her was strange because I don't know if it's, if they'd put a fake chin on Janet Kidder cause she, it's not such a prominent jaw on her. Um, I'm not sure if it's just because the makeup of the green of making her so uniform in color makes it look like a more flat surface on camera, or if they did actually put on prosthetics to like make her seem like a harsher, like sterner face. But she did a great job. Really, really great job. Um, but uh, a dead fear was like my pick for the season. He was so good um, as, as a good admiral. It's Star Trek has this long history of every time you come up against a Federation admiral, they're a dick who don't know what they're doing. And they only hinder the main cast of whatever crew they're on. Like, Oh, we got this admiral who wants to do things by the book and it's going to create problems for us because they don't know what it's like out here. But yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, I agree. I thought he was fantastic as well. I mean, you mentioned it before, that the cast, the cast of this show are absolutely fantastic. And so you've got a great cast anyway, but then the characters and the time that they have to spend on... De- on developing the characters and the interaction amongst the crew is one of the best things about the show. Yeah. Um, which they did something for this season. I want them to go even further for season four, but it was a complaint from in season one of you've got Michael Burnham. Great. Good stuff. You've got Giorgio. Great. You've got whatever captain you have, whether it was Pike or, if it was uh, Lorca, great. And you've got Saru and one or two others. And then the pilot, the co-pilot. The, you know, there's a bunch of these crew members on the bridge who get no screen time or no further development at all if they're not Tilly or anyone else. And that was a complaint in season one. Season two, we got all that great stuff with Arium, uh, the cybernetic crew member who got infected by the AI villain from season two, whose name escapes me. Uh, But this season, they really focused in on um, uh, Detmer, like dealing with PTSD from when they initially come out and have, and she crashes the ship and like is worried that she's, you know, she's the full weight of every single life on this ship is in my hands and I crashed the ship. Like, and it takes a you know, half a season to deal with um, Lieutenant uh, Owesakun, uh, played by Ian Oladeo, um, who's the, the co-pipe navigator who's helping Detma deal with this stuff. And when we jump to the Mirror Universe episode, she's like the, the, the top for security, who's like a hard, hard woman who like, like takes people out. Like, some really great stuff from her. Phenomenal. Like um, Emily Coots, who plays Detmar, like really like I really felt she's having trouble dealing with this. And also when she starts to get her groove back and she's got walking around with like that, that pilot jock swagger and like bragging in the, um, in the, the, the mess hall, like 
and all of all the rest of the members of the bridge they finally like oh you're not michael burnham and that but you actually have lines of dialogue we get to little see a little bit of each of your characters that have been like like kept away from us for two seasons and i think that's why yeah i noticed all that and that's why i'm getting the vibes from classic trek because we've had so many seasons and films with those actors playing those characters that you really do get to see them come together like a family, whether it's original series, next gen, and this season in particular of Discovery. Maybe it's what you're talking about there, where they're actually giving a lot of the characters that were pretty much just background characters on the bridge more to do, but you definitely feel like they know each other and they are more of a family now. But they have gone through a lot together. And not only you know the adventures of season one and season two, but as I said in the opening, they're now far in the future. So they're, you know, they're really going to gravitate more so towards each other because they're going through this experience together. You mentioned the mirror episodes. We've heard for a while that Giorgio is going to get a spin-off. That's, yeah. It felt like we're getting a bit of a, it was a two-parter, but it, a bit of a backdoor pilot in this. Yeah, and they and they don't spoil like what it could be either, which I think was genius because they they establish um, fairly early on something's off with her, which is five, yeah, episode five, when they actually finally get to Starfleet. You know, it takes that long for them to eventually like discover Starfleet headquarters and all the crew are going through their debriefings uh, and they have the, the holograms in the room doing the like high in a polygraph test and something happens there with Giorgio where you start to notice like, Oh, did some that, that guy get into a head? Who's, you know, played by David Cronenberg. Which um, is it. crazy. <laughs> he just pops up in this season. <laughs> yeah, I like, wasn't expecting him. There he is. And like, what a performance he puts in as well. He was um, like Star Trek. It was so odd to see him in this. I got to imagine he did. Yeah. Honestly, oh, before, before I saw comments online and I just assumed people were talking about an actor who looked like him. It wasn't until I was actually watching the show. Like, oh, wow. Here he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then from the very next episode, you start to see her like, kind of like lose focus and be staring off and be off and like something did he did he break her mentally and it plays out until to terra firma like oh no um her being in the future is actually killing her and it's and they're like oh why is the rest you know that you get your your, your techno battle explanation yeah, they, of like they ex- explain it yeah they've gone from one point yeah. in time to another but she's done that same thing only from a different universe she's stretched and the molecules and the vibrating and everything else they do yeah, explain very it. flash. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So it's killing her, and th- like they need to solve. Uh, and they can't. Uh, the sphere data, which has become part of the become the discovery computer, which I'm hoping they're going to go further down the line with, like they did with that great short treks episode um, in before season two, uh, where oh, go to this planet, and you will possibly find a cure for Giorgio or at least something to, to help her. They go down and there's Cal just sitting in a, a seat like, oh, you took all the time. And like, who's this guy? It, it felt very Doctor Who, if I'm honest. 
uh, and he's like, just step through the door. A door appears out of nowhere. It's literally a door, like no back, no front. Like they and opens it up and trip. She's in the terror universe. Well, her Michael was still alive, and all the events are going to play out as they did before. Um, and this is we get this for, for two episodes. Like she steps into it. The episode runs out a little longer, and then break. Second episode picks up right where it left off. Goes through. We have a whole big, like three month, like story arc over these two episodes. It ends with um, her coming out, and oh wait, there she is on the thing. Like a few seconds have passed. Like what's going on? You've got three months more of like physical data, and it's like a test of like, are you the same person you were? Are you worth like it? Like are you worthy of being helped? And she's proven that. Her time with on Discovery and with Michael Burnham has changed to the point where she's a person worth saving. She did have a legitimate like want to fix things, and gives her an option of to step back through the door. Um, you know, the uh, the Guardian of Tomorrow is who it turns out to be. From again, this is season one of the original series, which they won an Emmy for. Uh, but. Well, she on. sends off and is, like we don't know what's good is that who carl is yeah that's who carl right. is when he becomes that big stone like portal thing that is from that original series episode uh the city on the edge of tomorrow wow okay yeah um who's like some sign of galactic intelligence but so she steps through the, the guy of tomorrow to go into whatever her will will keep her alive but yeah, that that you know, is that her spin-off? We don't know what's on the other side of that window, or uh, that portal. Um, it's some kind of something different. Did he just send her back in time to section thirty-one with uh, the cast and crew from season two? Like, possibly. I mean, that's know. the that's the spin-off they've been talking about for a while. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it was um, two really phenomenal episodes. I really enjoyed the the mirror universe because they thankfully don't overuse it. We only get it very sparingly and it is, I find this with all medium or all forms of media, whether it's uh, comic books and you see like an evil earth for DC or Marvel and seeing characters we know and have, or have come to know really well twisted with the dark lens of like, this is how they could have turned out mm. and all that stuff. The, the way, weird way feder- the Federation is, the way all the cast and the um, crew members and members of Starfleet act, and it's all very cutthroat and like looking for a way to get through. It's so well done. The costumes are great. Doug Jones puts in an incredible performance with her as well. Um, such a great, and yeah, I, I hope we get to see more of Michelle Yao because she is so like, so ridiculously good. Uh, not just in this, show but all things she does but i want to see more philippa Giorgio. she's a fascinating character we get to see a lot more of doug jones in this i didn't expect to see him as a man looking human yeah <laughs> which is it, he ends up i've you know i've gotten so used to him in the saru makeup um because he's been doing it for so long and it seems so natural in hearing his voice and his timbre and his movements come out with behind all that special effects makeup that by the time we see him, 
and he's like yeah this is me doug jones i'm like you weirdly look more alien to me now <laughs> yes being saru without all the special effects makeup than you did in all of that makeup for the last three seasons but not just three seasons of star trek like that's his career like he's always yeah. in some kind of prosthetic in all the movies and tv that he makes and yeah. i was like good on you doug you finally yeah. made it. You're, you're showing your face. So we got to see him, obviously still as Saru, but it was a really smart idea. And then other characters look like different species. But for him, yeah, it was just yeah. Doug Jones. That must have been uh, an easy prep day for him. Less time yeah. in the makeup chair. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm, I'm wondering what kind of an acting challenge it is as well, because... With all that special effects makeup, does he have to act larger and be big with his facial expressions? And then he had to, and then without all that makeup, have to like play down his own expressions because he's so used to having to act bigger. Or that's a good point. Is it, yeah, or is it just like, oh my God, I can breathe. I can sit down. I can go to the bathroom at will. I can like wipe my face and I can like eat sloppy food for lunch like <laughs> all these things he would have had to struggle with because it must be it's such must be such a time consuming process to get him in and out of the the makeup normally um but yeah it's because i liked all of their looks i like i liked um hugh dr hugh colbar in the bajoran makeup and um burnham uh in her makeup and everything as well they all they all look great. I'm like, oh, it's it's just again, it's refreshing. They get to do something a little different. They're still playing their characters, and their characters never drop and become something different. It's just it's a way to freshen it all up. Yeah, um, it's a really really good idea. Now I can't believe we've gone as long as we have without talking about book. We've been talking for half an hour <laughs> at least, and we've not talked about book. We mentioned him in the opening, played by David Ujala. He is such a strong presence in this show. Like his relationship with Michael Burnham, but such a cool character. And we got to spend a lot of time with him in the season three premiere, which reminded me in the season one premiere, and we got all that time on the desert planet with Michael and the original Jojo. Yeah. Uh, and it works so well because she's isolated. It's just her. It's, it's a two-person act. Those two are carrying the entire episode. There's this person you don't know who's dodgy. He's clearly up to criminal acts. We don't know of what, of, uh, what kind, but there's a, there's, and there's a little bit of a, um, uh, an Idris Ilba like Luther feel. There's that sort yes. of street God, mentality to him. For sure. Yeah. Are you, are you familiar with the actor outside of the show? I'm not, no. I first saw him on Supergirl, and he played the Arrowverse version of Manchester Black. All oh, right. That's who he played, and he very much was more so than he is on this, Luther. Not Lex Luther, the one you were just talking about, the um, yeah. Idris Elba one. It was like the CW Idris Elba with powers. Yeah. But he was, um, yeah, was good on Supergirl next level on this he is so good he's one of the uh, best characters for me in the season yeah because you know he's he's not starfleet so he doesn't act the way they do he 
he can think like, well, a criminal would do this. Like, there's, there's a shortcut. Like, why are you going through all that mess? We can just do it. It's right there. Like, let's do that. And he's got his own shift as well. He doesn't need to wait for permission. He's not under any obligation to do that. He can just do as he likes. And he can go off separately completely because he has his really cool form-changing ship with his cat, who's a queen. <laughs> <laughs> but then he's an alien, although looks human for the most part, but he is an alien. He's got abilities, which leads him to being a second pilot for the sport drive, which I thought was a jumping ahead there, but I thought that was a, a nice a nice reveal. But even before, like you, you mentioned he's a, he's a bit dodgy. You know, he's a bit of a criminal type, but he's yeah. also... He'll do the right thing. And there's an episode where it said that, well, the Enterprise, not the Enterprise, the Discovery, <laughs> it can't interfere because it will show the Federation to be making a stand or to be making a move where really they shouldn't be. And he's like, well, I've got a ship. I could take my ship. And off he goes. So he doesn't hesitate. Yeah. He's always jumping into danger for the right, for the right reason. Yeah, and, and he's got that empathic ability as well, which allows him to, uh, you know, communicate with animals. He's that's his kind of his his mission until Burnham comes and like like takes him on a new path. Um, you know, he looks up to Starfleet and in, and he enjoys the in, and the helping of them, even if he does he's not quite it, it doesn't quite fit him to do it in the Starfleet way. But yeah, there's it's a little bit of edge to him. He's yeah. really personable and like a really charismatic per- character. It's he's great. I he's he steals so many scenes he's he in. He really does. Um, he's a great is a great addition to to the show and to the crew. But he goes up to Vance and he's like, "Or oh, was it Saru?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, I've thought about it. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. Do what? I'm gonna be Starfleet." And he's like, "Yeah, it's not as easy as that. <laughs> you can't just." Yeah decide you want to be Starfleet like you know there's a process there's training but it's cool to hear that he's going to be sticking around and he does end up with a version of a uniform but it's all black yeah yeah because he can't yeah he's got to do it his way Um, and yeah he he hasn't gone to Starfleet Academy he hasn't had the training you know he can't be sending off someone like this and being like yeah do first contact procedures or yeah, go uh, run a level four diagnostic on the warp core. He doesn't know how to do that. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's so good. Um, and I really enjoyed the addition of Adira as well, played by Blue Del Barrio, um, who we get in season, episode three, her introduction, who is a human combined trill, which... Yes. Very cool. Um, it's funny... Because I saw people online complaining when this came up with, oh, I'm a human, but I've got, I mean, joined with the Trill, but I can't access my memories. And everyone online was like, no, this is nonsense. (laughs) Uh, William Riker had this happen to him in an episode of Star Trek Next Gen. This, they, they, they can combine. There's no problem. What's going on with this? And then, yeah, you see in the the next episode that it's the trauma stopping her from accessing memories um which is really really well done but you know they have their first non-binary star trek character um who and she's talking with her her ex-boyfriend who was the actual trill whose symbiote she's taken gray uh, played by ian alexander and they have like a really interesting thing of where he's still kind of 
manifesting to her physically, even though he's essentially dead. So not only is she non-binary, she to all outsiders has an imaginary friend and Stamets takes her under his wing without a batting an eyelid where it's just natural. He's like, I get it. I, this happened to me with you. So I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. Anthony Rapp is so, is so good in this and they, they play or he plays his character very well. And for him to be that support person for her, and it's so far removed from the, the pole that we were first introduced to in that first season. But talking about this new character, non-binary, I mean, it's very, it's what Star Trek has always done. Like going back to that original series, it's, it's, it was often the first to have done something. Yeah. And it's what Gene Roddenberry wanted Star Trek to be. Like this is a society in the future. They've got all these advancements, but it's not just technology, it's people and the way they view other people and interact. So it's, for me, it's very fitting having a new character like this on the show. Yeah, and it's not preachy at all. It's just she's being referred to all the time as her and she, and she just brings Stamets up and like, sorry, I've actually, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. I've always just thought of myself as a, a, a they or we. And he's like, fair, no problem. And that's it. It doesn't need to get brought up again, but all the interactions from then on, there's no gender pronoun in front. It's all addressing Adira specifically, um, which again, that's, that's, you know, so many, I, I feel like I've seen shows try this and stumble because they make too big a deal out of it. Whereas this is, this is the natural way. It's about acknowledgement, acceptance, and then you're part of the crew. You're part of the community and that's it. Um, and it's so well done. You know, she gets a lot to do as well. She doesn't take over the show. She doesn't take anything away. She only helps the character of, of Stamets be built because you see, as you said, from season one, he was the uptight, things are my way. Don't get in my mess. This is my area. I'm more important than you. I know more than you. So over the course of season two, he kind of gets all trippy and like uh, psilocybin, <laughs> like from <laughs> yeah. the, the mycelial network tripping and kind of spiritual, but still very much Paul and, uh, you know, he and uh, Tignataro's character, Jet Reno, like are so completely opposite. They can't help but butt heads. And then you see this whole other side of him of like, I get to be the, the person who accepts someone else and helps them deal with trauma that I myself have dealt with. And it helps uh, Wilson Cruz's character, Dr. Colbert, go more as well because he's like i'm so proud of you you get to see a full proper relationship of you know this is a, this is a partnership they're married they are taking on more responsibility and growing as two individuals into like a, a family unit um a non-conventional family unit but a, a strong family unit nonetheless and he's doing that for the whole crew he's trying to help detmar come out of a shell like you clearly have ptsd i'm not going to come to you and tell you you're removed from duties until you take care of this like you might have gotten with the next gen with Councillor Troy 
but he's having to do that with everyone and having to speak to Saru as the new captain of like, which again, we haven't even brought up that Saru's promoted to captain as he always should have been. Yeah. yeah. They, um, yeah. Okay. So before we get onto Hugh, a fantastic character, I was sad to see him go when he died and then he came back and, and he's just back now as normal. <laughs> just moving on. He did die, but now he's back. Obviously, that's something that Paul still, it still stays with him, you know, having that loss at one time. But Hugh is such a fantastic character. And I enjoyed that when he was going around to each crew member and just, you know, more than just being a doctor, like he was, he was, you know, wearing multiple hats, but being there for, for the crew. Yeah, yeah. Saru as, as captain. I agree, fitting to have him as captain. But they also, they had a lot of fun. Because there's not necessarily a lot of comedy in this season, but there's funny moments, and they do yeah. have a lot of a lot of fun with what his phrase is going to be. Picard had yeah. engage. <laughs> you know, there's been different yeah. variations with different captains, and he's trying yeah. a few out. And even when they're in a situation that you know they're often facing peril, but he'll he'll say one that doesn't quite land, and the crew are like. Eh. You know, but again, they're facing peril. Like, those lives are in danger. But they're just taking that moment of levity of like, are you sure that's what you want to go with? Yeah, and they're like, fine. And then at the end of the episode, when it's time to go home, should we do it, sir? Like, using the phrasing of like, is yes. this going to be your thing? And he's like, just go. <laughs> I also like that he it's Tilly. You know, this this is some more really great character development where... Michael Burnham has broken the rules too many times and there had to be repercussions. She couldn't just keep getting away with it because she's the main character. So she gets demoted and Saru rightly taps Tilly, played by Mary Wiseman, of course. Who is like, excellent. You're the one. <laughs> As she, yeah, she's always the light of every room. Yeah. She's always everyone's best friend. She, she's everyone's confidant. And she's she's his. She he he knows absolutely. He can be like a little bit vulnerable and embarrassing around her, and it be completely private. Like every captain has a thing. I need to help me come up with what my thing is. <laughs> yes. And she's like coming up with a list that they're running through, and that's like work through which one of these is it going to be. Um, and it's great, you know, seeing her trying to like worried that as an ensign. If she's the first officer, no one's going to respect her or take her lead. And they get to have that little, like, you know, like captain, my captain type moment in the uh, engineering uh, section. Um, such great stuff. And they prove it from episode two. It's the first episode where the Discovery and their crew actually come in. And Saru's immediately like, Hilly, you're with me. You, you're dealing with this better than everyone else. And I can trust you to fall yeah. when we're looking for help. Um it's so well it's and she's always she's always the last she's always the last to know as well always the last like everybody else recognizes the potential and what she's capable of she's always the last to to find out i I like that about there's so many good qualities about her as a character but yeah what to go from ensign like even going back to that first season like she was the roommate that michael didn't want like she sat there and then they became friends from ensign to number one, to acting captain when Saru's off the ship. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's, and she feels, and you, 
you see her struggle with it. It makes her more, it makes her probably one of the most relatable because she isn't so like cocksure. Like Burnham is always so like, I'm so, I'm so intelligent. I've got it all figured out and I can just brute force this with my intelligence and my, my willpower, like regardless of the consequences, I know better kind of thing. And she struggles every time of the way. There's a very the Peter Parker-esque quality to her of like, despite her obvious talent to everyone else, she's always got self-doubt. Um, and she's, she's so human. Her, um, it's actually funny. The, the Andor, freed Andorian slave um, with his antenna cut off, the actor who p- portrays him, that's actually Mary Wiseman's real life husband. Oh, wow. I did not know that. <laughs> Yeah, and so and it's so nice, like, and this is something Star Trek always do of like finding ways to get people, like, they're they're on screen like credit and like, you're a good actor. The crew already know you and are familiar with you. That you that that chemistry should translate. Let's use it. Um, and he another really great character for the brief amount of time that we had him. Um, yeah, just I'm just so satisfied with where everyone's going on this stuff. I mean, you know, and they get the, the little things like the new combatches are also oh, their yes. tricorders and yes. their communicators and they can, and they're, they're transporters. Like they shrink all that technology into the thing. And you see them just like Linus, uh, the alien character who's always been used <laughs> yes. for joking. Yeah, just yeah. can't stop playing with it. And like, Oh, this isn't where I'm meant to be. Like just popping into people's conversations yeah, and funny, popping yeah. back out. Yeah, there's. Uh, I wonder if they took a little bit of that inspiration from uh, the animated Lower Decks. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, you, yeah, that was a good example of some comedy they did have in there, and that was a reoccurring gag as well. Like it would occasionally <laughs> just pop up. But that was yeah, that's yeah. a good point. The way that they shrunk down the technology, uh, we get new uniforms in the future. Yeah, Discovery they stick with their own uniforms, which I did like because. I like the design. So yeah, I was happy for season three. For, although they found the Federation in the future, they've seen they have new uniforms, they've got their older ship, and they're going to keep their own uniforms. But throughout the season, they find the cause of the burn. So the big mystery in the show gets resolved. And when we get to the finale, a few words are exchanged. Michael becomes the captain. I remember the first thing, or one of the first things about Discovery that they were saying, what's different about this Star Trek show is the main character isn't the captain. She's the number one. Well, now she's the captain. It might not last, but at least for right now, she's the captain. And with that comes new uniforms. Yeah. Um, Which I, I do like the uniforms. I like that they you still maintain your um your big bold stripe of color to dictate you need that yeah yeah what division that person's from um you know there's a very there's an almost business suit feel to them like space is in that by that time in the future is so casual they don't need the um it's less mili- it's uh, yes yeah, less military uniform because they are now there's no big war they're fighting so there's no military feeling wing to them there's or, or and 
they're doing less they they must be at this stage you know they make a few comments of like this is past the temporal wars which was something introduced during enterprise but it's more it's like they're almost purely diplomatic now it's the like the very very large bulk of all of their missions is diplomatic and rendering aid and nothing else there's no exploration there's there's no military conflict it's a, a view report offer assistance and back out kind of a deal um, and those uniforms really helped reflect that uh, and also it's a nice way of like here they are in the future they've accepted in they've accepted the federation as it is the federation has accepted them as they are and this is the final step of like now they dress like they dress for the job now as well which is a nice way to wrap up the whole of the season um talking about the source of the burn this was the the one thing really that kind of let me down uh or left me slightly deflated for the whole season they introduced it in the first episode and it's episode 11 i think it is where we get the the hint of what it is before it's actually spelled out for you it's in episode 13 that the source of the burn is a kelpian called sukal who's crashed on a, like a base on almost purely dilithium planet in a nebula somewhere with high radiation and it's his emotional outburst that, tr that resonated through subspace amplified by dilithium which created a chain reaction that spread and hit all like almost all dilithium ships across the galaxy i'm like that's what it is yeah it's like, I, it's a person yeah i, I was a bit let down as well i mean with it being a kelpian it's going to lead to further character development and to learn more about saru but that yeah it didn't seem enough i thought it was yeah gonna like although it's going to be bigger because in the future the federation isn't what it once were like to some people the federation isn't even a thing anymore and it's like it's whispered about and oh wow like what what happened to oh this big thing happened the burn and it was this yeah. mystery running through the whole season. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Federations talked about like a, a religious belief almost. Like, oh, you believe in the Federation, like child? Um, so much time's passed now. We don't even try and find out what it was anymore. It's just this big thing that happened in the past and nobody questions it. We've just moved on. And then, yeah, yeah. then Discovery within one season to solve it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just like uh, I just felt a little. Uh, I feel like this could have been handled smarter. Like when I initially they started to introduce it, I'm like, "Oh, this has got to be a Romulan thing, right?" Because we know the Romulans, after uh, having watched Picard, are in a really bad way. Um, their ships actually don't run off the lithium warp cores. They have a quantum singularity core, like a literal black hole in the middle, of that and that those pressures create the energy they need to power their ships. So they wouldn't be affected by something that's affected specifically the lithium warp cores, which is everyone else. So I was like, this, this feels Romulan. This has got to be Romulan. And then we get episode seven, unification three. 
and Romulans have reintegrated into Vulcan society proper. They've even renamed Vulcan, uh, whatever it is that they called the planet. Uh, and I'm like, ah, oh, there's not Romulans. That's okay. I guess that was the, the, the obvious for Star Trek aficionados. That was the obvious like culprit. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that's just, yeah. So it, it left me, I was still like, oh, what is the burn at that point? So when I finally found out, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess, I guess that's not a really a big thing to care about. Like they've got the dilithium they need. They still have discovery where they can jump and do the aid necessary. You know, now they know there's a, there's a second pilot that's not Stamets. Uh, I guess we should have just been worried about the animal chain period. Like, was that was that what it was? And yeah, despite as much yeah. as I liked this whole season, when that with those last three episodes, that being like the like the 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 land, I'm like that's it didn't it didn't hit square for me. I'm like that uh, okay, I suppose. I mean, they did a lot with it. In visually, you know, it was interesting because he had this whole world that had been created using the technology around him, and he wasn't able to move on. He was a child. When it happened, um, he lost his mom, and now he's an adult. So there was a lot going on there. So for an individual, it's a massive thing. But I guess the audience watching it, it just for me, yeah, I, I thought it was going to be something. I thought there were going to be more people involved. It's really like bigger conspiracy where it ends up just being something that happened to one person that affected everybody. Yeah, which, which as a sentiment and as a, a core idea great but in execution it just yeah like if you had gotten this explanation earlier and you had left time past it to to really focus in on the emerald chain and them trying to steal discovery as a way to like this technology is how we're going to be able to like bring the unit the galaxy back together and with us on at top there it maybe felt more less of a disappointment because we had something else to like distractors after the fact but the fact it came so late yeah and it was so eh, okay because i understand a child's you know the 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 poetic nature of a child's sadness affected everyone like great but in uh, storytelling science fiction um drama series like this that isn't what I was looking for. I was looking, I was looking for something with more meat on it, something that that gave uh, a, a more of a satisfaction. Left me like not wanting of yeah. They have given the explanation of being like, eh, is not how I how I want any show to go or any film. So to get that so late into this season, when I had, when up until that point, I was so like, oh, this is great, this is great. And I still enjoyed the finale and the wrap up because all that the holodeck deck world he was living in had worked so well. And I'm like, oh, that's... I mean, they definitely they gave us a definitive close to that story. The season three is done. Season four is happening. So they've got the new uniforms and they're going to go on new adventures. And it's still going to be Star Trek. You mentioned that, the, you know, the more dressed for business now. But there's going to be danger. And they've got Buck there now. And yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful for what what comes next, whether it's season four Discovery, season two of Picard, 
all do the trek that are getting hopefully more lower decks. Oh, we should mention yeah. as well that we did an episode all about uh, lower decks season one. We did a full review, and as of the twenty second of January, it's now on Amazon Prime here in Australia. Yeah, I did notice. I saw the ads while I was um, catching up on another series, and I was like, "Oh my god, people can now watch this!" I should let them know because I it was, you know, it was so hard for me having to actually sign up for a, a CBS access to do yeah. a review for the season. <laughs> I'm like, it's, oh, yeah, that's fine. I, they can have my money. I get enough Star Trek out of these guys. It's out, so more people, more people can watch it. More Star Trek is is not a bad thing. Okay, we've talked about it. Season three, Star Trek Discovery, if you're going to rate it out of five. I'd still give it four. Um, even with the, the idea of the burn being landing as flat as it did for me, like I, I still love this season. I still love the performances. I still love the, the possibilities and everything else they gave me, um, the, the tightening of the crew because you know, being isolated as they are, they, this is their family. Like they're literally their actual family's been dead for 930 years. Um, the introduction of the Federation as it is, it gives them, it gives them so much more space to go in because it isn't just about exploring new worlds. It's about rebuilding old relationships from worlds. And that gives them so much more. You can do nostalgic tales for season four out of what they've built out of this. And, um, as well as new stuff of like, hey, yeah, remember that episode from uh, Deep Space Nine? Look, here they are at Bajor. This is what's come of it without the Federation uh, assistance. There's so much they can go with this and everything I got from this, whether you know whether it was returning directors, Dan, uh, Jonathan Frakes or Hanel Culpepper, who's and all the other guys, every single thing was smashed out of the park except for the source of the burn. Um, yeah, I loved what happened with the Emerald Syndicate, the, the people they brought in, the slavery, the, just the, the chaos that there is in Star Trek now. Um, it, every episode was exciting for me. We got a lot more gray areas out of characters that they were interacting with. Even Earth, you know, being so cut off and being so kind of um, xenophobic to the point where even the colonies on the outside of the solar system, they had been treating like strangers until Discovery turns up and figures out what's going on. it's I, Yeah, I loved it. I, I'd give it four. It sounds like we had a very similar experience with it, but I'm going to come in a little bit lower. And like you, it is mainly to do with the reveal of the burn and what had happened, a little bit anticlimactic. I thought, I thought it was building to something bigger, not just for this season, but I thought it was going to be like something that we'd see in later seasons as well. I'm going to come in just a little bit lower at a 3.5. It's still, it's, it's a good season. I'm still loving having Star Trek on TV, but it's definitely of the three seasons so far, my least favorite. And my, my, my top one so far is still season two. With Yeah, absolutely. Pike. Well, that's it for our episode all about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.